Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Darwin Festival podcast. I'm Chris Smith. This week we're taking a trip to the South Seas to visit one of the first things that Darwin ever wrote about. And it is evolution, after a fashion, but not as you might know it. I'm Brian Rosen. I'm a scientific associate at the Natural History Museum in London in the Department of Zoology. Darwin's first book on scientific theory is on coral reefs, on their structure distribution. Before he ever left, and possibly before he even knew about it, there'd already been a considerable debate about the origin of coral reefs, particularly these atolls in the ocean areas, since Cook and before's voyages. And it had become almost a, a cause célèbre in amongst the, I might say, thinking people and around, in and around the Geological Society in London in particular. And when the Beagle was due to leave, one of the instructions was that they should uh, not only do the navigational uh, charts and everything else, which uh, is the main purpose of the voyage, but also to look at coral reefs in particular, and in particular also to test a brand new idea by Charles Lyell, which he hadn't yet published, but they all knew about at the time. So the official instructions for the Beagle's voyage included instructions to test that hypothesis. And, and what was that? Well, because atolls are ring-shaped structures, one of the ideas that people had had, and Lyle developed in particular, was that they mirrored volcanic craters. So the idea was, according to Lyle, that there would be submarine craters which were all, as it were, conveniently at the right depth for reef-building organisms, which only live in shallow water, to then just make a rim of coral on top of the crater rim. And that was Lyle's hypothesis. But it did assume, or did postulate, that there were all these craters, all handily at the right elevation for the corals to start growing on. So that was a problem for them, and that's why they asked the Beagle, uh, asked Fitzroy, to go and have a look at that problem. So how did Darwin study it, and what was his conclusion? Well, interestingly, and much is now made of this, he developed his own alternative hypothesis. He himself claims, before he ever saw a coral reef, he says he developed it on the coast of South America long before he ever saw a coral reef. So he then um, waits till he gets to Tahiti, where he sees the first reefs, and then starts to write his first manuscript, which wasn't actually published. It was here in the Cambridge Library, I I think, uh, until David Stoddart published it in 1962. But that was his first formulation of his theory. And his alternative was that after the volcano has erupted and had its eruptional period, it begins to subside. The coral reefs grow on the flanks of it, and bit by bit the volcano disappears beneath the waves as the reefs grow onward and upward leaving you with this ring-shaped atoll. So some of these South Sea islands that we see that do still have their volcano in the middle, they're kind of evolving to become an atoll eventually then? Precisely that. That's exactly what Darwin says. There's a lovely plate where he gathers up all the charts of about, what is it, ten-odd number of different uh, islands, just as you describe, all with still bits of volcano in the middle, not erupting anymore, but all of them showing more or less peak left and you could easily imagine him then putting these apparently quite separate phenomena in an evolutionary, because that's what it is in a geological sense of evolutionary, an evolutionary sequence of the island in the middle gradually fading from view. And so how did Darwin then take that forward? Because you say he, he didn't actually publish the manuscript, just wrote it up. Yes, it was obviously a draft, as he indeed did for his evolutionary ideas and other things, I believe. But um, that's 1835 while he's on the vessel, Then in 1837, he actually presents a short version of his uh, theory and the evidence he then gathered, particularly at Cocos Keeling Atoll in the Indian Ocean when they reached that late in the voyage. 
He presents that at the Geological Society in 1837, and then he, he does lots and lots of homework, you might say, by writing to lots of people and going through lots of charts. And as you know, probably he's a prolific correspondent. And he builds up all the extra evidence he needs to then publish his book on structure and distribution of coral reefs. Were there any frustrations? Were there any coral reefs that didn't fit the theory and therefore he had to try and defend them or explain them so they didn't put a spanner in the works? It's a mixture of various things that then happens. Some people doubted that the ocean floors had subsided, so the issue then was whether those particular reefs showed signs of subsidence. Meanwhile, other people went to reefs that he never said had subsided, and somewhat mistaken, he said, look, I can see no subsidence. Well, actually, if they looked in the Darwin's book a bit more carefully, but for whatever reason, they chose not to, to remember that the examples they used were in areas of uplift or areas of stability. So there was a complex of controversy developed in the later part of his life in particular following the Challenger expedition where John Murray, one of the leading scientists of, the, of that expedition, had said, oh, look, this is no problem. All these coral reefs just build up from the seafloor. All the little organisms fall down onto the seafloor, build up mounds, and then eventually when they get to the right depth, the reef builders take over and make a coral reef. And that was the beginning of a long period of controversy. And some people say that the bias was that the people who challenged Darwin's theory mostly were zoological, while a lot of the people who embraced it were largely geological which is interesting too. But towards the end of his life, Darwin realized that the critical test of the oceanic part of his theory, perhaps the most celebrated bit of it, um, was to try and get someone to drill a borehole into a reef, an atoll particularly, to then see if it had a volcano underneath it. But that didn't happen in his lifetime. Has it happened since? Oh, yes. It happened in 1952 first. Uh, the American uh, geologist drilled any reef at atoll uh, in connection with uh, atomic testing on their atolls of Bikini and uh, Iniwetuk. And they hit basalt at 1,200 metres or so. That was the beginning of substantiation, or vindication, if you like, certainly of that part of his theory. Other atolls have been drilled since, so we're quite happy with that picture for individual atolls. In addition, plate tectonics shows that the ocean floors have subsided, because as well as moving sideways, the oceanic plates also uh, get deeper as they move outward and away from the mid-ocean ridges. But the big complication also was the recognition of the effects of glaciation on sea level change, which is another story again. And how did that fit into the picture? Because, of course, that's an additional complication that he would have struggled to have to explain. Precisely that. In fact, I call this part of my talk this afternoon complication, and the other part is called vindication. Now, the complication is that in 1842, he was unaware that, that there had been major glaciations whose ice had extended far beyond where it is in, uh, today or in his time, and that therefore when the ice had melted, sea levels must have risen. Now, if you're a coral sitting on the sea floor, you don't care very much whether your foundations are subsiding or the sea level is rising. The effect, as it were, on your ecology is going to be the same. And he knew nothing of that in, in, when he wrote his book, but around that time, he changed his mind. He was won over to the idea there had been glaciations. He goes and visits his old haunts in North Wales, and he gets involved in quite a controversy about glaciation with one of the Agassiz and so on. But this is a long story in its own right to then work out what effect exactly that has on coral reefs. What it basically turns out to keep it simple is, yes, sea levels change, but the rate of change of sea level is about three orders of magnitude faster than substance of the volcanic foundation. So you've got this kind of yo-yoing of sea level all the while that the foundation is sinking. So yes, the foundations are sinking, 
but also you have to interpret the surface features of an atoll very much in terms of this more rapid uh, and more recent environmental change, the change of sea level and probably change of climate that's going with that too. So one is, as it were, superimposed on the other. Another wonderful bit of deductive reasoning by Charles Darwin. That was Brian Rosen, who is based at London's Natural History Museum. That's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening, and do please try to join me next time for more insights from the Darwin Festival archives. There are, incidentally, more editions of these podcasts available from our website at thenakedscientist.com. I'm Chris Smith, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>